Good morning, everybody. I'm Julie Coleman. I'm one of four members of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel, and we're really glad you're joining us this morning. Um, I don't know about you, but this um, quarantine, the honeymoon, is over. I'm tired of not being able to see my grandchildren. I'm tired of being stuck at home. I'm a shopper. I can't shop except for online, and I just really miss normal life. Um, I, and I noticed just in the past week, Actually, last week was happening where I just was feeling like I couldn't pull myself up out of bad thoughts and depression and uh, feeling very dark. And I realized last Sunday as we were singing uh, one of the songs, it said, I'll awaken my heart um, and pour out my song in praise. And it struck me as I was singing those words that that's exactly what I wasn't doing. I was getting up every morning and I was looking at my computer first thing and I'd spend an hour on Facebook and I'd uh, spend an hour on, uh, you know, in, in the news, uh, on the Washington Post, reading and reading all the horrible news and terrible things and all the people that were dying and the new things that the virus is doing and just was really robbing me of all my joy. So I made a decision on Sunday that I'd stop doing that and that I would start looking at the songs first thing in the morning. I thought, well, I want to wake in my uh, soul with praise. That's the way to do it. So I started in Psalm 1 on the first day and started moving through them. And it was such a huge difference for me, uh, spending that time in God's Word and then going with that right perspective. And there was one song that really kind of uh, struck me very deeply. Actually, they all did, but Psalm 3 was one that I thought, that'll preach. And so I started looking at this stuff that week, and uh, here's what we have today. Um, because sometimes we have a hard time with hope when nothing changes. Everything just keeps staying the same. And people keep saying, keep waiting, keep waiting, keep waiting. And especially the American public, we're not into waiting. We want things now. And so it's been very hard. And so I'm hoping that this song will also bring some joy to your heart if you're struggling with having a hard time with hope. Now the author of Psalm 3 is King David. He was king at the time, but he was in a bad place. Um, and what he wrote in Psalm 3 came out of that terrible pain that he was in. Uh, so it's a beautiful picture of the process of getting relief when you're in a bad situation. You see, David was in trouble. He had this um, complicated relationship with his son, Absalom. Not his firstborn, but Absalom had never been an easy child. And in recent years, he had set himself up at the gates, near the gates anyway, of the city of Jerusalem, and anybody that would come to see him, he would set himself up as the person that they would first meet when they were coming to bring concerns before the king. And he would tell them this, see, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on part of the king. Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land, that every, every man who has any suit or cause could come to me, I would give him justice. See what he's doing there? Not very subtle, but there he was. And uh, somebody approached him and they would bow down low to him. He would extend his hand and he pulled them up and he kissed them um, and, and just make them feel like they were so important and significant, which everybody loves to feel significant. And scripture tells us, so Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. Well then he began to this conspiracy after he'd gotten a lot of people that started to love him, to take the throne. He sent out spies into each of the tribes, spreading the word that he should be king. He got big support from doing all of that. And um, then David had a messenger, unaware before that point, come to him, uh, who was on 
they decided he was a big supporter, and he told them the hearts of the people and the Absalom. And uh, he understood right away, David did, that the whole household, he and the rest of the people who uh, worked in his service, they were in imminent danger. And so they fled the city. And among those who came along with the crowd, and there was a crowd, uh, was the Levites. And they carried the Ark of the Covenant with them from the tabernacle. You remember, the Ark of the Covenant was a physical representation of the spiritual presence of God with the people. And they got to the point at the brook of Kidron where it divided from Jerusalem over to the other side. And when he did that, he stopped the Levites and he told them, take the Ark back to Jerusalem and the Lord will contact me from there. And so that's exactly what they did. But it broke David's heart to be out of the presence of the Lord when that ark was gone. And it said, and he sent many others back to the city. Stay there, stay there. Because David knew how horrible it was to be a fugitive in the wilderness. He'd done it for many years when Saul was chasing him around. And uh, it was the thing he hated the most was being in the wilderness. At one point, David had sinned and God asked him, to gave him a choice of punishments. And one was um, 70,000 people will die with plague. And the other was that uh, David would be out in the wilderness again on the run. And guess what David chose? 70,000 people should die because he did not want to go back there. So that's how he felt about it. So as he leaves, the Jerusalem behind, crossing the brook, goes uh, ascending up the Mount of Olives, and he wept as he went, his head was covered, and he walked barefoot. Then all the people who were with him each covered their heads and went up weeping as they went. And at one point in this sad, sad journey, as they were leaving everything they loved behind and knowing the danger that was following them, there was a man named Shemai, and he was actually from the house of Saul. Now, if you remember, David actually took over the kingdom, the throne, from Saul when Saul was killed, but God had placed him there. But there were some bad feelings in the house of Saul because they felt, I guess, the kingdom was theirs. But he came out of his house, and the scripture says that he was cursing continually as he came. He threw stones at David and of the servants of the king David, and all the people and the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. Get out! Get out, you man of bloodshed, you worthless fellow! The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son, Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you are a man of bloodshed. Yikes. You can imagine that whole situation, how devastating it was. Let's get into the mind of David here. The rejection, first of all, of his son, trying to take over his kingdom, and the son he loved. The rejection of his countrymen, who'd given their hearts to another, even though he was the anointed one of God and had been placed on the throne by God himself. The loss of his throne, all the privilege and the wonderful things that came with being in the palace, the loss of the presence of God in his heart. And I also believe that David also carried a burden of guilt. Because what had started, what had alienated Absalom to begin with, is a long story we don't have time for today. But I'm telling you, it was guilt on David's part. He was not perfect. And things that happened caused all that bitterness. And he was bringing also guilt. He was bringing all these people into exile, the very exile he hated with all of his heart. 
and there he was bringing them with him. To, and, uh, and I'm sure that would have been on his conscience as well. So David was sick with grief. He was sick with fear. And so what does he do? He calls out to God. And that's Psalm 3. Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying to my soul, there is no deliverance for him and God. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, my own of God, for you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Let's pray. God, what a profound song. We wonder exactly what was in David's heart, but we can get a good idea from the things that he says. Sometimes, God, we're just so destitute, and we just have nowhere else to turn. <laughs> But there's always you. You wait for us to do that. And I just ask you, God, that you would help us through this song to be able to see the truth, how, God, you have revealed yourself, and that that would help us, encourage us in how we can trust you and our obedience to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you can see what's happening in David's heart, right? How my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. What's his problem? He knows he's lost the heart of his people. There's ten thousands of people who have set themselves against him. But you know, in reality, he knew it wasn't so much about him. It wasn't so much that they were rejecting him, but they were actually rejecting God. They were in rebellion against God himself. Because this is what they said. There is no deliverance for him and God. Now, David is God's anointed. God placed him there on the throne, man after his own heart. Um, and so he would, when he heard them saying things like that, that there's no deliverance for him in God, he was a guy who respected the anointed thing. He was a guy who refused to kill Saul, which given several or, uh, opportunities and able to be able to kill him uh, as he was being chased around him. Saul was chasing him to kill. But David would not kill the man that God had put on the throne. In his mind, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be a crime against Saul, but a crime against God himself. No matter how crazy the guy was getting. Now here's David, God's anointed. And so he was, it was not that they were rejecting him, because they were saying God wouldn't deliver him. They were in rebellion against God himself. So David cries out to God. Now, found a really interesting thing here. There's an obvious difference in how David is viewing God as to how those people who have rejected him. Because when the enemies talk about God, they use an impersonal word for God, Elohim. And kind of can be used for men too as a judge, someone who judges. So, uh, and so it says, but you, but David says, but you, O Lord, not God, not Elohim, but Lord. And that Lord is Jehovah. Another word, Yahweh. The I am. That's who he is calling out to. 
they were looking at God as this distant judge. David was looking at it as something personal. It was the name, I am, that God identified himself with to the patriarchs. It's the name that communicates all that he is and that covenantal love that he had for his people. A name that assures of his perfections and his promises. He promised to be their God and adopt them as his children. And when he did so, he called himself, I am, Yahweh, Jehovah. Now, David, he had a covenant with God too. It wasn't just his forefathers that had one. God made several promises to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. The first thing he did was he reaffirmed the promise of the land that it would be given to David and his descendants, just as he promised to Abraham. David's son, Solomon, would succeed him as the king and would build the temple that David had placed up in his heart. And then finally, and this is the most important one, God promised David that his kingdom was going to be eternal. That the Messiah would be sitting on David's throne, a direct descendant of him, and that throne would last forever. But here's the thing. In all of those promises that God gave David, not one of them required anything from him. It was all on God. So David knew that God's care and perfection and the ultimate fulfillment of all of those things was unconditional. God did not place any conditions of obedience on his fulfillment. So, if he was feeling guilt, like I suspect he was, it was irrelevant when it came to a relationship with God because God's love, God's relationship with him, rested solely on his faithfulness alone. So what does he call on? He calls on Abba Father, Yahweh, the God of covenants. And nobody tells God what he knows about him as he addresses him. He is a shield to him, he is his glory, and he's the one who lifts his head. So it says that I cry out to you, but it doesn't say what he said exactly until we get to verse 7. It says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. And we can also tell what he asked for and how God answers him. How do we know if God answers him? He's written it down. He says, You have smitten all my enemies on the cheek, you have shattered the teeth of the wicked. And God reminds David, I'm sure, that he's come through for him in the past. It's not the first time David's been on the lamp, running through the wilderness. He spent years avoiding King Saul, waiting, waiting on God to fulfill his promises and anoint him as, after he was anointed, but put him in place as king. Now, to describe how David talked, or saw that God dealing with his enemies, David uses two metaphors. The first is that they, he struck his enemies on the jaw. And when uh, that was done in the Old Testament, it was an expression of humiliating someone, expressing that uh, the, they were being humiliated. And we find that in several places in the Bible. And the metaphor of breaking teeth, he broke their teeth, are um, like wild animals whose strength is taken away when their teeth are crushed. So when David cries out, that's God's answer. But was it? He reminded him how powerful he was. What he'd done in the past. And he proved himself faithful over and over. Now, it's a beautiful contrast here between uh, what men are saying and what David knows in years. And of course, every contrast deserves a good chart. Yay. So, if you take a look, um, there's a, what he sees 
is his adversaries are increasing. He sees and hears there's no deliverance for him in God. Because God is not on David's side. He's abandoned him. So he's here. And then finally, ten thousands of people are against me, round about. So you know what he's seeing all around him, everything he sees, there's no hope in what he's looking at. But he also knows stuff. And this is what he knows. That you're a shield about me, God. You're my glory. You're the lifter of my head. You spit my enemies on the cheek and shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And you bless your people who take refuge in you. So, what was David remembering? What he already knew and already experienced to be true about God. And what happens as a result? I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. He slept. He slept the peace of the held. He slept because he trusted in the God who was continually, unconditionally, excuse me, committed to him. He slept because that God was powerful to save. And no matter what he saw all around him, no matter what he heard people saying, that assurance of who God was carried him right through the night. So, what? What does Psalm 3 then mean for us? Well, I don't know about you, but sleeping the sleep of the held can be a real challenge for me. We had several years ago now, it's quite a few years now, um, my daughter got into an accident and she was still on our insurance. And the day after Christmas one year, we got a knock at the door. It was a man standing there and he was serving us papers. We were being sued. I'd never been sued before. I immediately freaked out. And so, um, <clears throat> The person that Melanie and hit, I was suing both her and us, two separate lawsuits. And all I could see in those moments that I held that those papers in my hands was that all of her life savings, when I saw the amount she wanted, were going to go up in smoke. <laughs> and we we're getting close to retirement, and that definitely freaked me out. I was literally sick to my stomach for days, physically ill. And for weeks, my fear about the whole thing really consumed me. It was a terrible thing. So the thing is, it's so tempting to base our security on what we see around us. We all think everything's good and things are going well. We can rest easy. We can sleep. But when it's not, sleep, all bets are off. And uh, when you think about the fear, that fear, and that refusal to believe in God and the refusal to trust him, that was actually the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. There were two souls there that were unwilling to trust in the goodness of their father. And they feared that obedience to him would ultimately bar them from happiness. And so they rejected what God had told them. So I started thinking about the psalm this week. And I knew I needed to make a list of the things that I continued to hold on to. Um, keeping them to things or people, I, I refused to surrender to God. And I found that every item on the list that I wrote, and hopefully it wasn't too long, it was a little long, but everything I wrote on that list was fear-based. It was insecurity about family members and their situations in this crisis, their health, uh, their jobs, all that. Always money is on that list for me. I never have security no matter how much is in the bank. And goals that I'm trying to fulfill as I'm getting older and I want to get some things done, 
and fear that I won't get to do that. So I need to let those things go. And how do you do that? How do you let it go? Well, I knew what I needed after Psalm 3. I needed to appeal to the lifter of my head. When David called the Lord the lifter of my head, I wondered about that, what it meant. I've foreseen it many a time, but I've dug into it a little bit. Because I, I always thought it was kind of like a support that he would do. But as used in the Old Testament, it's actually a Hebraism, and it's used to express confidence in the Lord, who has the power to raise up, stop the power of the mighty. David expressed it as he began to pray. So that's what really caught my attention, lifter of my head. But then later on in the psalm, after remembering all God had done for him in the past, he can exclaim, salvation belongs to the Lord. You know what I think? I think that part of God's lifting up the head is like what you see in that picture. I think God was adjusting David's gaze. And so I thought of the song that you heard uh, in the countdown this morning, Look Up Child by Lauren Daigle. And she wrote these beautiful words. Where are you now when darkness seems to win? Where are you now when the world is crumbling? Oh, I hear you say, look up, child. Where are you now when all I feel is doubt? Where are you now when I can't figure it out? And I hear you say, look up, child. The song goes on to say, you're not threatened by the war. You're not shaken by the storm. I know you're in control. Even in our suffering, when, even when it can't be seen, I know you're in control. Look up. And I think exactly that's what happened with David. As God moved his gaze upward, held his head, and said, look up. And he made the choice to trust, no matter what he was seeing around him. And you know, Paul did the same thing. He said this, for momentary life affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. When we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When we remember to look up, we remember what's temporary and the eternal glory that someday we will see. We remember God who's powerful, working every situation to further his plan for the world. We remember the big picture. And you know, as I struggled through the fear of that lawsuit, one night I finally confessed to my husband how much I was struggling. And he looked at me in such surprise and he said, well, it's the Lord's money. And if he wants us to spend it in that way, that's fine. He'll figure out another way to, to meet our needs. And I, I decided that night I was going to have to trust God on this. And I, I gave it to him. I was not going to be calling the insurance company for updates anymore every time. I wanted to just give it to him and leave it there. And guess what happened? I started to sleep again. And just to let you know, it took a few years, but eventually the lawsuit uh, was dismissed as invalid by a judge. So it all did work out. You know, I read this great story Elizabeth Elliot wrote in the book that I'm reading about her right now, um, Keep a Quiet Heart. And she talked about her son, Tom, who I actually had as a professor in college. And he was a little boy, probably two or three years old, and they were on a uh, beach vacation in the Jersey Shore. And so she, uh, her father wanted to bring little Thomas out into the water and play in the waves with him. But Tom was terrified. He didn't want anything to do with it. 
And so her father would take lists of them, and he'd show them how much fun they were having and riding the waves and blah, blah, blah. And Thomas just refused. Stood on the beach, would not do it. Well, finally, the last day, he tired of watching all the fun happen without him. And so he told his father he could take him out into the waves. And when that happened, Tom had the time of his life. It was fabulous. He was so excited. It was such a great time. And he got on the beach. It was the last day. They were going home. And he started crying. And he said to his father, why didn't you make me? And I just thought that was the cutest story. But we do that, don't we? We hold on to things that and we won't give to God. We won't trust him with it. And what does it do? We miss out on joy. We miss out on peace when we refuse to look up and trust in what we have. If we believe what the Father tells us and we surrender ourselves and all those things that are weighing heavy on our minds, it will bring us deliverance. Deliverance from the fear, deliverance from the insecurity. 